Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. I was praying into this morning and um, I got a couple of uh, words and I'm from Perth, so I can, I can bag on Perth uh, because I'm bagging on myself. Um, but I was, I was preparing yesterday afternoon and I was just lying there listening to some worship and I saw Perth and it had like this massive shade cover over it. And over this shade, it said content. And I really believe the Lord was saying that Perth is content with a meager move of the Spirit. And it's time to actually get discontent with what you have. It's time to actually get a bit hungry for some more. Because until you're hungry for more, He's not going to give you anything. Because you've actually got to do something in your hands. It's the principle of what you, uh, what you actually steward, He will give you more. Those that steward the small things will get the big things. But Perth as a city has been content with their own salvation. They've been content with their own encounter. They've been content with their own church services, just going through the motions. That Perth as a city and therefore the body of Christ actually need to get a bit discontent with what's going on. They actually need to get out of the bubble of Perth and see Perth is the most isolated major city in the world. What's a major city? Any city over um, 250,000 people. The most isolated city in the world. You've got to actually get a bit unisolated and get a bit discontent with the state of the world and not just the state of Perth so that you can see what you want to see in this world. It's no longer just about you because you're in the room and if if you're saved, it's no longer about you. It's about other people. We've got to get a bit discontent in Perth. And it was funny because it was a shade, right? The shade blocks out most of the sun. Mm. Most of the glory is being blocked from Perth because they're content. They're content with a meager move. We've got to get a bit discontent. We've got to get a bit discontent. Jason lives. I saw um, a massive line of prams. And no, I'm not prophesying more kids. <laughs> but a, a massive, a massive, massive line of prams. A massive row of prams. And all of them had a, had a newborn baby in each and every one of them. And he showed me, you know, the um, almost like the, that evolution where they get like baby, like on, people wear them on t-shirts all the time, right? But it was like you had this plan of how to mature newborn Christians. That you actually have a grace to mature newborn Christians and newborn ministries. That you'll have insight in how to mature newborn Christians and newborn ministries. And that it's not just going to be an organism, an organization, a brand that you're growing, but you're going to grow a family. And that's why it was a pram. That's why it was you guys investing into newborns. Because as, you, as it's been said today already, it's time to go out. It's time to bring them home. It's time to actually get some newborn Christians in the house. Because the foundation is ready for it. The house is built. Now fill it. So I really believe that over you this year, it'll be a time to actually bring them in. To bring in the newborns. To put them in a pram. And it won't be a slow maturing. You'll actually have insight in how to mature people quickly. Which is not, it's a bit of an oxymoron in the natural, but in the spiritual, it makes all those sense. Mature people quickly. And the Staggers kids, I know you're all like spread everywhere. Um, But all of the Staggers kids, I got this one phrase, and it was for each of you individually. It wasn't a collective thing, but it was for each of you individually, but it was the same phrase. You will be the piece to your puzzle. 
You will be the piece to your puzzle. So when you look at something and you go, that doesn't make sense, or that's too complicated, or there's a missing something in this place, that's where you're going to go. You're going to be the missing piece to your puzzle. Wherever awesome. that puzzle is, you're going to be the missing piece to your puzzle. So is that good? Awesome. It's an absolute honor to open the Word. I, um, I love the Word of God. It is, it, it, it is everything, in all honesty. This is Jesus that we get to learn about, that we get to read about. Yeah. And... I just want to honour what Liv and, um, Liz and, St- and Jason Staggers and the whole family have done here. Um, I got the pleasure of being here on your first Sunday. Yeah. True. Um, and now I get to be here again. It's, it's awesome. It's been a ride. But um, why don't we just open our Bibles to Genesis 26? Now, if you forgot your Bible, um, probably the wrong Sunday to do it. <laughs> Any of the youth guys that have heard me... Uh, before you know I get through a bit of scripture. We're going to read a bunch of scripture up front. I'm going to tell you kind of some things to hang on to in your mind as we go through and then we'll get into it. So Genesis 26, we're starting in verse 12. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. Remember that. Philistines stopping up wells. And Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and came to the valley of Gerar and, and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham, his father which the Philistines had stopped up after the death of Abraham. He gave them names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen came and the, they said, the water is ours. So they called the name of the well Esek because they contended with him. He makes a whole bunch more wells. I'm going to uh, pick up later on in verse 23. From there, he went up to Beersheba. Now, this is a place of encounter for him and Isaac. Uh, so Isaac and his son, Jacob, Beersheba, place of encounter. And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. Uh, yeah. So he built an altar there and he called upon the name of the Lord Ditched his and pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. Remember, altar, think worship, and they dug a well. They built worship. They worshipped, and they dug a well. When Abimelech went to him from Gerar, he said, Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, Let there be a swarm pact between us. Picking up in verse 31. In the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths and Isaac sent them on their way. They departed from him. That same day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they had dug and said to him, we have found water. So oaths or covenant and wells. So we've got worship, wells, oaths, wells. Let's go to Jeremiah 2. I told you it was the wrong day not to bring the Bible. Jeremiah 2, verse 13. Jeremiah is rebuking all of Israel at this point for walking away from uh, the Father. And he says to them in verse 13, 
For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that cannot hold no water, that can hold no water. John 4. Two evils, forsaken the fountain of living water, and built cisterns. John chapter 4, verse 5. So we came to a town of Samaria called Sakar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied him as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, midday. A woman came and he said to her, give me a drink. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, is asking for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. The well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this well, water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will, be, will never be thirsty. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband. We have this whole discussion about... Um, her husbands and whatnot. And then she says in verse 20, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. That are at a well, they're now talking about worship. They're at a well, they're talking about worship. You worship uh, Jesus said to her, Women, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship in spirit and truth. The Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And we'll stop there just for time's sake. They were talking about her husband's. What's a marriage? It's a covenant or an oath. They're at a well. They then had a discourse about worship at a well. I want to talk to you today about wells. <laughs> Bit of background on the uh, geography of Israel. This is a dry, dry, dry place. You think Perth is dry? Everyone's like, the heat in Perth is dry heat. When you go to Melbourne, it's like, nah, Perth's alright, 40 degrees, it's just dry heat. Israel is dry. There is no water there. So there was two ways that they actually had water, and that was cisterns or wells. Cisterns or wells. Now, most people understand what a well is. Chuck up your hand if you don't. No one admits it anyway. So a cistern actually had nothing to do with a well except that it has water in it. A cistern was made to catch rainwater. That was its entire job. It was just to catch the water that came from the sky, rainwater. Whereas a well was an access point into the water that was below the soil. Mm. Now these people are agricultural. So you understand why in, Isaac, in, the, in Genesis 26, Isaac and the Philistines are having fights over wells. Because they need wells to survive. Wells was a symbol of prosperity. A well, a good well. The one that Jacob dug was a good well. It lasted generations. A good well was something to die for. It was something to protect. It was something to wage a war over like the Philistines were doing with Isaac. 
We want to build wells. Cisterns were man-made. They were made to store water. Whereas wells were merely an access point to water. It wasn't something that was man-made. They had to dig through stuff that wasn't made. We learn in 2 Chronicles 26 verse 10 that where wells were lacking, they had cisterns. So if they couldn't build a well, they then had cisterns. So already we see the Bible setting up this this, uh, dichotomy and saying that cisterns are the lesser of the two. Cisterns are what you do when you can't get a well. Mm. The water in cisterns was often stale, it was warm, and it often evaporated. Had a limited lifespan. But the water in a well was fresh. It was kept cool. And even better than that, it actually had minerals in it. Had electrolytes, had all the good stuff, your calcium, your iron, all that stuff because it was in the water table. It was in the rocks. It was not dependent on the current circumstances. Wells were not dependent on how how long ago it rained. It was dependent on how deep you dug. Whereas cisterns had a limited lifespan. It would evaporate if you didn't keep getting rain. Yes. So you'd be looking at a cistern, you're like, oh, well, we're running out of water. But if you owned a well, if you had dug a well, you don't care about the circumstances surrounding you, what the weather report is. But you're saying, no, no, I'm safe because I've dug deep. Mm. Mm. We're starting to understand a bit of what I'm saying here. Mm-hmm. Now, the Israelite people understood this really, really well. But we're Westerners, we don't get this as much. So I'm just going to step back a bit to help those people that haven't got the symbolism that I'm bringing up. Israelites, Jewish people understood that everything in nature had a spiritual parallel. Everything. And when you read the Old Testament into the New Testament, you often see what was natural in the Old Testament actually become spiritual in the New Testament. Okay? What was natural in the Old Testament becomes spiritual in the New Testament. This is why we no longer have to sacrifice, because it's now a spiritual sacrifice. First Peter talks about your worthy worship, your spiritual sacrifice. That's just one of the two. And this is what we're speaking about today. In the Old Testament, we read about wells constantly. In the New Testament, it becomes a spiritual living water. So just in your mind, think of that when we're talking about the natural. There's a spiritual parallel. Now, I got into... Uh, looking at all different types of wells. Um, it was quite interesting. For some of you, you might be like, why were you doing this, Thomas? Well, it, it was actually really, really fruitful. I found there was three types of wells. Now, the first type is called a bored well. They're not bored as in listening to a long sermon. They're bored, okay, with a, with a bore water. We understand what bored water is. Yeah, it smells. This is a shallow, a shallow well, okay? The water from this well needs to be boiled in order to be consumed, okay? You have to do something to the water that comes out of this well before it can be consumed. Number two type of well is what they call an unconsolidated or a soil well. Now, this is a bit deeper than a a bore well. It doesn't smell as much, but the problem is it has a lot of sediment in it. You have to filter this water before you can consume it. The third type of well is a consolidated or a rock well. This is clear, filtered, pre-filtered water. This is actually the most stable kind of well. Mm. The one before it seems pretty stable, 
because it's, in the, it's deep in the ground, it's all good, we just have to filter it, we don't have to boil it, so that's all right. But see, soil wells were prone to collapsing. Rock wells never collapsed. What we read about in John 4, in Jacob's well, was definitely a rock well. What they had done, they had dug through the deep sandstone, the hard years of digging and digging and digging until they struck water. This was the well that they want to build. This is the well that we want to build. You see, the deeper you dig, the cleaner the water, the more minerals the water has, and more importantly, the less contaminated the water will be. Mm, What's water? Good question. There's all through the Old Testament, especially and into the New, water has a couple of different symbols. Sorry, it's a symbol for a couple of different things. The first one is salvation. Think of the Exodus, the parting of the waters, the parting of the Red Sea. They were saved by the parting of the Red Sea. They were saved by water. Think of uh, the waters, uh, the bitter waters that he throws a log in. They were saved by water again. Think of the waters of baptism. Now we're not saved by baptism, but it is a command to actually participate in for a, uh, a demonstration yeah. of our salvation. Yeah. Mm. Water is a symbol of salvation in the Bible. Water is also a symbol of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Now this starts right in Genesis 1. It's hovering over the waters, ready to create. But also then in Isaiah, it talks about the rivers of living water that would flow out of you. Rivers, plural. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus talks about it in John 7. He actually says that he starts talking about living water. Drawing on the discourse in John 4. Pulling it into John 7. But adding but I haven't given you the spirit yet. So it's like, wait for the living water, but I haven't given it to you yet. He was drawing the conclusion that living water is the Holy Spirit. This is why we want to dig wells. This is why we want to go deep. Because wells is salvation and the Holy Spirit. But what is the well of the Holy Spirit? Well, the water of the Holy Spirit can be the gifts of the Spirit. It can be the power of the Spirit. It can be revelation of the Spirit. Proverbs 18.4 says, The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. Mm. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. This is revelation. This is wisdom. John 7 verse 37, I said before, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this is, he, as he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. If you want more of the Spirit, glorify Jesus more. That's what John 7 is saying. Jesus hadn't been glorified yet, so he, the Spirit hadn't come. Where the glory of Jesus is, that's where the Spirit will manifest. So if we want... More, to grow in the gifts of the Spirit, if we want to grow in the power of the Spirit, to see more healings, to, to actually impact the world around us, if we want to receive greater revelation from our Father, to actually understand the Word of God more and more, we need to dig wells. Mm. The Christian life is actually about digging wells. Because wells are a center of community. Wells are a center of prosperity. They're actually, everyone needs the water, right? Everyone needs salvation. And then you can't walk out your salvation without the Spirit. We need to dig wells. 
is what we're called to do. But we need to dig the right wells. How do we dig a deep well? Because it's all fine digging a well, and that's a good place to start. But when you dig a bore well, a shallow well that smells and you have to boil the water, you actually have to submit your revelation, your gifts, your power in the spirit to authority figures in your life. That's the boiling, the purifying of your revelation. You see, when you, when you dig an unconsolidated well in soil, it needs to be filtered. So before you speak, you've got to submit it to the authority in the room. It needs to be filtered to make sure it's purified so that people can drink of it. If it's not filtered, people can't drink of it. And if they do, they get sick. So if you're still going, ah, I've started to dig my well, but it's shallow. Get under someone. Be discipled. Actually submit to people in your life. See someone's gift in their life and you go, that's what I want. Well, submit to them and say, teach me how to do that. Teach me what you, what was the price that you paid for that? And be willing to pay the price. If you're actually just at an unconsolidated well, you're like, oh, there's soil around. It could collapse at any moment. It's a bit unstable. Get under authority. Someone that can filter through your revelations and say, well, God, did God really say that? Well, let's have a look at the scriptures. Let's filter it through the, the character of God. Let's see Jesus in this. Let's filter it. But we want to dig a deep, deep well where the revelation that we receive is, is fresh. It's refreshing to the people that drink of it. That when we minister healing, where Holy Spirit heals people through our obedience, they feel loved in that. When we prophesy, they feel loved and not condemned. That they don't just receive the revelation, but they receive His love as well. This is a consolidated well, and this is what we want to dig. How do we do that? I'll tell you how not to do it first. Pride. C.S. Lewis says that the center of all Christian morality is pride. That actually all sins can flow out of the one sin of pride. He even says that if you think that just by overcoming lust, sorry, the devil would allow you to overcome lust of the flesh if he knew you were going to do it. So do it and enter into pride. Mm. When you say, oh, no, that's, that's mm. below me. I won't touch that because it's below me. Mm. Rather than I won't touch that because I'm a son of God. When you say it like that, you've entered into pride and the devil's like, great, you can get rid of that lust because I've got you in pride. Pride is the root of every single sin. Why? Because it's a dependent on self and not dependent on God. If you're dependent on self, the devil doesn't have to do anything for you because you'll do it for yourself. (laughs) If you want to dig a deep well, get rid of all pride. And if you're sitting in here saying, I don't have any pride, you're probably a prideful. (laughs) Because even the most humble person will continue to want to rid themselves of pride. But the two ways that we dig a well, I said them very early on. We looked at them in both scriptures. The first one is covenant. The first one is covenant. This is salvation. What's a covenant? Well, the covenant, the New Testament covenant or the new covenant is to live out the covenant you have made or the agreement the contract that you have made with God. What does that look like for a Christian? Well, actually, it's quite simple. People think there's a lot of rules to Christianity. There's not. It's quite, quite simple. The first one is maintain your freedom responsibly. Paul says, do not submit yourself again to a yoke of slavery. 
That's actually sinful is to resubmit yourself to things that are your master when your master should be God. So how do we maintain our covenant, our agreement, our contract with God? We maintain our freedom. And that means not doing things, not because they're wrong, but not doing them because they're a lesser freedom. And ultimately they will control us. You see, freedom is not the lack of boundaries. It's the right boundaries. A fish is not free on earth. A fish is only free in water. It can't breathe out of water. So don't think it's free by taking, well, going past its boundaries. It's actually less free going past its boundaries. This is the problem with the world that we have today. They don't like boundaries. They think they're more free without them, but actually they're getting wrapped up and wrapped up and wrapped up and wrapped up. We need the right boundaries. Maintain your freedom responsibly. What does the responsibly part mean? Well, it just means that if you think that your freedom doesn't affect other people, it does. So the responsible way to maintain your, maintain your freedom is to not impact another's freedom. For example, drinking alcohol is not bad, but drinking it next to someone that has a problem with alcohol is now bad because you are affecting their freedom. Cool? We actually have to submit to one another. Second way that to maintain covenant, obey the commands of Jesus. There's very few of them, but I'll give you a tip on how to read through commands. You're looking for lists. So Jesus often makes lists of things. Paul makes lists of things. And it's very, very clear, these are bad, right? And also Jesus will make very clear statements about commands. If it's not a clear command statement, you need to go into the context of who wrote that, why it was written, etc., etc. These are why we can get some wacky theologies when we read through the epistles, especially because people are lacking some context. If it's a command, it will be very clear. Third way to maintain covenant Repent quickly. Repent quickly. See, maintaining covenant is about living, attempting to live a sinless life. Mm-hmm. Repenting is the way that we do truly live a sinless life. There's very few unforgivable sins. The first one is unforgiveness. If you do not forgive another person, you shall not be forgiven. Mm-hmm. Jesus is very clear on that. Very, very clear. The second unre- uh, the un- unforgivable sin is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Do not declare what is demonic to be the spirit and do not declare the spirit to be demonic because that's apparently an unforgivable sin not going to get into that right now (laughs) now the second thing we looked at the connection between digging wells and what well we said digging wells and covenant or oaths the second thing was digging wells and worship read worship is if you want an extensive list of what actually worship is but i'm going to give you a very simple definition worship is elevating something above everything else This is how you can worship your phone. This is how you can worship yourself. This is how you can worship anything is if you above it, if you elevate it above anything else. We must only worship Jesus. We must only worship our Father in heaven. We must elevate him above all other things. How do we do this? Quick fire list. Prayer, word, fasting, songs, or what we call worship, and actually the Great Commission sharing Jesus. That's prayer. Word, fasting, songs of praise and worship, and sharing Jesus. Now, when I got this revelation, the youth ministry actually started to shift and change. Um, So midway through last year, God started speaking to me about, you need to get serious about what you want to see in this youth ministry. This was before I was the youth pastor. And so I started fasting all day on Friday. So I'd fast from the moment I woke up until 5 p.m. on a Friday where I'd eat, so I had some energy to keep up with the young guys. 
But I did that. I did that every single Friday. Every single Friday. I would work a whole day and still be fasting. I did it religiously. Because I knew that it would break something. And then we started seeing more miracles. And then we started seeing more outpourings. And then we started seeing more salvations. But it wasn't immediate. Don't think like I did it for one week. No, no, I did it for six months. I did it for six months before we actually saw anything out of that. We then this year started instituting a prayer meeting for the leaders before uh, our before essentially the night started. 4 p.m. to 5 p.m. before we set up for everyone. I just said, I'm going to be in this room, team. And if you want to come pray, come pray with me. But I was there every week, 4 p.m. till 5 p.m. And then we started seeing young people actually want to pray more. We started seeing young people want to encounter more. We started seeing young people lead prayer. I got serious about the word when I couldn't do anything else because I was locked up. But I got even more serious about it when I had to teach young people about the word. And we started to tell them, no, no, carry a physical Bible. Carry it because it's the only thing that doesn't have distractions on it these days. That's true. And when we started to actually put our money where our mouth is, Kelsey and I, when someone would say, oh, but I don't have a Bible, we'd walk into the resource center and actually buy them Bibles because we were serious about the word. We were serious about the word. Sharing Jesus actually doesn't come naturally to me in a forum that's not this, which is very, very interesting. But I was looking around our youth ministry and I'm like, this is awesome. Young people are developing. Young people are being discipled. But young people aren't getting saved. And I can't look at young people and go, go out, share Jesus, if I'm not doing it myself. So I started actually really being intentional about sharing Jesus, really being intentional about just either random people or the people just in my world, the barista that I would see multiple times a day, the people just walking past. Sharing Jesus started to unlock things in the youth ministry. Two ways to dig a deep well, covenant and worship. Covenant and worship. Covenant is breaking the ground. Worship is drilling deep. To finish up, I just want to share a story um, of a mini revival that's happening uh, right now in uh, one of the schools in Melbourne. And I might actually cry when I share this story because these boys got it. They just got it. They were at our conference. They saw everything taking place and they had a personal encounter. And you have to have a personal encounter. You have to actually understand the salvation of the Father. You have to submit yourself to being a son and daughter of Christ. You have to have an encounter, otherwise you won't go far. But these two boys had an encounter. Now these two boys were starting to veer off. They were kind of a bit of the rat bags. But they got an encounter. And from that point, things started to shift and change. They started to bring some young guys from their school to Thursday night meetings and to Friday night youth. And I was like, man, this is awesome. This is really, really cool. But then they started telling me about the 20 kids still back at school that couldn't make it to the revival meetings and to Friday nights. You see, what was happening at their school was bigger than what we could see in front of us. This is what a well is. What's happening deep in their life was bigger than what I could visually see on the surface. This is digging a deep well. And they didn't dig the well at church. They dug it in their schoolyard. They dug it back where their lives actually are lived out. They dug it where people could drink from it. Because people don't need to drink here. Because Jason lives are building the well here. 
People need to drink in your workplace. People need to drink in your universities. People need to drink in your high schools. People need to drink out there because there are no wells out there. And where there is a lack of wells, they will build cisterns and they will wait for the rain. And then it will evaporate and they'll wait for the rain. We've got to dig wells out there. And this is what these two boys did. And then they were coming to me at the end of this year and they're going, Tom, we've got 25 people that want to come on Thursday night. And they're like, we need a bus. I didn't go, I'm going to put a bus at this high school. I'm going to run a marketing campaign to fill this bus. No, no, no. Two young 15-year-old boys chose to dig a deep well at their high school. And they came to me going, we filled a bus. Where's the bus? Come on. The salvations were coming before the resource was there. This is what digging wells is. This is what we're actually called to do as Christians. Help build this well 100%. But this is then actually your responsibility. Your responsibility is out there. And this is how we're going to see those long line of prams that are then going to be discipled in this place. Why don't you stand to your feet? The worship team want to come. That'd be awesome. But the beauty about digging wells is actually that it's more between you and God than it is between anyone else. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead, and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God, and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life, and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.